Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. Today we will hear part one of an interview with Emily Goddard, performer and co-creator of This Is Eden, performing at 45 Downstairs as part of the VCAA 2018 VCE Drama Playlist. Emily Goddard graduated from the École Philippe Gaulier Paris in 2010, supported by the Inn Potocultural Trust and Empire Theatre Bursary. Her recent theatre credits include Noises Off, The Boy at the Edge of Everything and Elling at MTC. Emily has been nominated for two Green Room Awards for Outstanding Female Actor for Glory Dazed and The Walls, and as part of the Best Ensemble for The Boy at the Edge of Everything. Her screen credits include 20-something, This Week, Live, Shyness is Nice, and The Dating Ring. Emily is also a theatre maker. Her solo work, This Is Eden, premiered at Hot House Theatre in 2015, followed by two Melbourne seasons in 2017-2018 at 45 Downstairs, supported by Creative Victoria and the Australia Council. This Is Eden will tour nationally and internationally from 2018. This interview was not recorded in the studio, so the audio quality is not as high as usual. Let's get to it! Welcome, Emily Goddard. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, and welcome to the show. Uh, hopefully we'll have some fun today asking some questions. Yeah. So, uh, this is Eden. This is Eden. Great. By yours truly? Yes. I um, I wrote the show and I co-devised it also with my director, Susie D. Um, and it was created over about an 18-month period starting in 2014. Um, so it was a while ago now. Gosh, 40, 40 years ago. <laughs> right. But you'll be performing it again? Performing it again in February, yes. So this will be our third season of the show. At 45? At 45 Downstairs, yeah. February the 14th to the 25th. Okay. Well, the show itself has a pretty specific theatrical style, or at least it's inspired by a pretty specific theatrical style. Yes. Um, do you mind explaining some of the conventions of that style? Yeah, sure. So This Is Eden is based on the um, the stories of the um, female convicts of the Cascades Female Factory in Hobart, which um, housed and processed or imprisoned and processed about 5,000 of the 25,000 female convicts who were sent to Australia. Um, and it was a pretty, pretty horrid, horrid place where they were sent. Um, there was a very, very high infant mortality rate in the factory, um, much, much higher than the general population. They would, they were, um, sentenced to periods of hard labor there was no light in the factory so they were often very very cold malnourished um, it was a pretty horrific place to be um, but one of the things that the women did there to rebel and also to kind of to survive was to make up performances that mocked the authorities um, and i had been studying buffon with philippe gollier um, and Buffon is a, a kind of inverted clown. It's like a style of um, grotesque mockery where outcasts um, mock the people who have oppressed them. So in a sense, um, these female convicts are kind of possibly one of um, Australia's first Buffon or first kind of um, uh, users of that, of that. 
um, performance style here. So the, so we wanted to make a show about the women, about the stories and about their rebellion and we wanted to um, use the style of Buffon as the main performance style to tell the stories. So the sort of narrative is told through the mockeries of the characters um, and it's one character, um, Mary, inside a solitary cell and we we meet the, the characters in the story are told through her mockeries, the, the people who, yeah, she kind of um, parodies. And, and as before, it's not something that students would be really well there, but it's certainly not something that they would study. No, I think um, the it's, it's not really a very well-known, I mean, we have a lot of satire in Australia and some of the, some, some of it kind of borders on Buffon. Um, but Buffon in particular, it's quite, it's designed to be very confronting. It's often quite political, um, but it also has to kind of, it sort of walks a very fine line because it can't, um, the idea is to never offend the audience too much or kind of um, that the, the, the Buffon always have to be charming at the same time and funny at the, at the same time. It's um, based on French jesters. Yeah, exactly. The French court yeah, and the, yeah. the jesters could push it just so just far. Just so far, exactly. Um, and also in the medieval times apparently um, there were many people outcast from the towns and they were called in on a particular day to scare away the bad spirits. And on this day they would come into the town square and they would perform for the king um, and they would, if they pushed it too far, they'd be killed. But it was really their own op only opportunity to fight back and to rebel and to... Um, I think the story is that they always hoped that the um, the king or whoever was being mocked would would die of a heart attack afterwards. That's how Philippe Gaulier tells it um, that the wet that the words are the weapons because these people have nothing else. And you used the word grotesque before, mm. uh, so that's going to be a very heightened theatrical style. Yeah, very heightened. So Mary um, mocks three characters um, from the convict. From her world one of them is um, the wife of a master that she was assigned to um, who abused her uh, also the reverend of the factory um, and the superintendent so all of them I researched all of them I mean the the wife is a kind of fictional character the other two are based on factual characters from the factory people men um, and we sort of looked at the records and we looked at um, particularly descriptions of what the women hated about those particular um, men or, um, or read um, different texts that they had written um, and sort of imagined what, if we could go back in time to 1837 inside this solitary cell or if we could have seen any of the performances that these women did, what, what parts of these characters would they have really kind of made fun of the most? And for the Reverend, they used to really hate his spitting. They called him Holy Willie. He was quite um, a, a disgusting, um, lecherous, abusive man. Um, so the kind of, that's been really heightened and the, um, 
the superintendent, his blindness was part of his son to grow blind as he got older. So that's kind of one of the things that she mocks. So I think they inform how exaggerated the characters become, but it's always, um, yeah, uh, I guess the, the performances grow in their grotesquery and their exaggeration and um, become kind of more confronting as they go on. Yeah. Do, you, do you think the transformation of Mary into these characters is thematic? Is there a reason? Is this intentional that one person plays all the characters? Um, well, I guess so that it could be a solo show. Um, Are they, they, repre they represent her, her story and she, they're, the, yeah. they're the lens? Yes, exactly. Um, so we kind of didn't want to make, we really didn't want to make a sort of conventional bonnet drama type sort of period piece um, and I knew that I wanted it to be a solo show even though I think it would be pretty incredible as an ensemble um, so we thought well how do we kind of tell these stories through one person and use Buffon and the only real kind of logical explanation for that was put her in a cell and have her doing it there. And then it kind of really looks at the life inside the solitary cell. Many women were put there for weeks at a time, sometimes more than a month. Um, it was pitch dark um, and they would have just gone absolutely insane. So that was kind of also the way that we could really um, look at the, the sort of the horror of the experience. Right. Yeah. And uh, you mentioned uh, in your description in the in the playlist design that you're also going to be using theatre of cruelty techniques is that just because it, it overlaps with Buffon techniques? Yeah I think because so. Because it's kind of racist? I think so and also because it, it has quite a um, political message behind it um, and it's yeah I mean I suppose both theatre of cruelty and Buffon are designed to be confronting and be provocative and challenging and make the audience Feel and think. I think they overlap. Yeah, in their in this the how provocative and confrontational they're designed to be. So the Buffon theatre style was chosen because not only was it present in Van Diemen's Land for Mary's experience, but it also gives the opportunity for the audience to be engaged in her experience. Yeah, yeah, and it also allows us to be able to. Um, mock or um, provoke contemporary resonances with this period. Excellent. We were really interested in how a present day audience could be also kind of provoked in the same way. Oh, are there obvious links you want to draw? Or yeah, there open? are quite a few links. Um, particularly, I was interested in drawing links between the um, convict experience and the current immigration debate um, and our treatment of asylum seekers and refugees. Um, there was a, a big debate that happened toward which was called the, the Great Transportation Debate, which was very successful in ending, um, ending convict transportation. But what happened at the time was instead of it ending for humanitarian reasons. There was a lot of propaganda spread and the country sort of started to fear the people who had come and who had really started to build, well, they'd been building 
donation for 80 years. So, um, and then there was a lot of, a huge amount of shame put on the convicts and also the um, descendants of convicts. Um, so we really wanted to look at that. We wanted to look at how um, we, we've kind of done similar things to, to people trying to come here now, demonise de desperate people and, um, and sort of, um, yeah, I guess how, how we've sort of been led to believe that these people are illegal and that they're somehow going to um, do us harm and also that it's correct to put them on an island a long way away and lock them up and torture them. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, can I ask just a question about buffon? Is that French for buffoon? Is it buffoonery? Yeah, I guess like large exaggeration. Large. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. I thought mm. you know because I know it's jest and there's opera operatic buffon op operas. And it, so there's, anyway, great, mm. fantastic. Uh, you are the co-creator, co-writer, and also the performer mm -hmm. in this piece. Uh, how will the actors, you, in this piece, be using your expressive skills to communicate with different characters that you're going to create? Um, well, there are five different characters. Well, there are two real main characters. There's Jane, who is a tour guide, who we meet at the beginning of the play. And then there's Mary Ford, who is inside the solitary confinement cell. Um, and then Mary mocks the, these three characters inside the cell. Do we see Mary in an exaggerated life, or is Mary quite naturalistic? Uh, I guess Mary Mary is probably the most naturalistic of all of them. Um, when we see her in her state, because she's she's been in this cell for longer than she 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 doesn't know how long she's been there. She's quite desperate. Um, she's she's weak and she's. Um, yeah, she's really on the edge of survival. Um, so her portrayal, I suppose, is really characterised by that state that she's in. She's also heavily pregnant um, and she's trying desperately to remember um, who she is and remember who her family is, but she's also trying very hard to kind of stay, stay alive. Um, so I guess that physicality is one that's characterised by um, a kind of coldness and um, struggle, like physical struggle. Um, her voice is much deeper than the other characters. It's sort of more grounded in, um, she doesn't actually talk that much as herself. Um, is she accented? No, we decided not to do that. We, I mean, the, the, the mockeries are, but she isn't and Jane isn't either. I mean, Jane doesn't need to be because she's a present day character, um, but we really didn't want to do anything that was sort of bonnet drama-ish and we'd watched so much and read a lot and um, just listened to a lot of, I mean I, I think I saw a lot of convict plays when I was at uni, not a lot, a few, that were um, just had really bad Cockney accents and one of the things I wanted to do with this play was make sure that we cut out the cliche we just got rid of that because i think it holds us back from really understanding what this history was and how it how i think it it removes us from from the brutality of it when we kind of watch this um 
I guess, like, romanticised version of the story, if that makes sense. So we thought an accent would probably remove us a little bit from the truth. So we've given her an Australian accent. Yeah. She's fighting, um, but she's she's very hungry. She, sometimes she's quite animal-like in her movements when she pounces for the food and when she's eating the food. But there are other parts where she's kind of, um, you know, almost... I mean, we also didn't want to make her too, like, weak, couldn't lift her head kind of thing because then if she becomes too sad and helpless uh, the audience also shuts off so we needed to make sure that she was constantly searching constantly trying to kind of warm herself or do the next thing prepare kind of for the next um, mockery that that came out so um, I think she's very different to Jane Jane is a tour guide um, from present day, it's Jane's first day on the job. Um, she's Jane is a clownish kind of character um, in the sense that she's a complete idiot. Um, she's very naive, um, but she's very earnest and she's very well-meaning and she wants everybody to come and have a good time. But she, I think, she, throughout the play, and um, she does come back at one stage. Um, about two-thirds of the way through, but she doesn't know what she's in for. She doesn't really understand the history, um, and she's kind of... She's quite innocent until we sort of undo her a bit in the, um, when she comes back and we realise she's... Um, yeah, kind of... We can't really excuse her ignorance, I suppose. But her physical, her express... Uh, I think, I guess, her voice is much... It's higher, uh, it's a bit more questioning, it's a bit more trying to please everybody. Um, she does silly, lots of silly gestures that she's been told are good to do as a tour guide. Uh, she wears a nice white clean bonnet. Um, she's sort of a, a parody of that historic tour guide, maybe a little bit. I don't want to name anywhere, um, <laughs> sure. but you know, I think we've always we've all experienced them at some point in Listen. our lives. And <laughs> which character do you think is most different to to Mary? Which character, when she starts getting into the mockery, which one is? If we have naturalistic Mary and not maybe slightly heightened Jane, which character do you think exemplifies the mockery of Mary? Example, which what is the best example of Mary mocking something? Is there is there, what is the most heightened character if oh, we're getting closer that, to realism? I I guess I guess they're all pretty heightened. The mockeries are all pretty exaggerated. Um, the closest, I guess, just because she's a woman, would be Lady F, the wife of the master. Um, but she's got a British accent. Her physicality is kind of, um, I guess. Mary really makes fun of her pretentiousness, I suppose, and her sort of stuck-up nature. Um, the priest or the reverend is um, has a quite a deep, um, loud, booming voice, um, and he spits and draws an awful lot. And the the superintendent, he's got a very high pitch very high-pitched voice. I guess that sort of exaggerates his um, 
lack of control, his inability to control anything. He doesn't sort of have any authority, so we're really sending up. Um, uh, he's sort of, yeah, he's out of controlness, I suppose. Mm. And he thinks he's in control. Yeah, he thinks he's in control, yeah. Right. But he's losing his sight and he's bossing everybody around and he, no one is giving him any... Um, and the lack of gravitas in his voice just exactly exaggerates yeah, how, yeah, how yeah, it yeah, yeah. Because Mary and and the women would have um, laughed at him, I think. Yeah, and there's a um, there's a lot of slapstick in in his mockery as well. Um, and that's going to be quite different to Mary. Yeah, yeah. So everything is pretty different to Mary. Yeah. Yeah. And what's an example of slapstick that occurs in the piece? Uh, he runs into the steel bed frame. But it's all very silly, you know. It's all very silly because it's through Mary's eyes. So it's all... Um, it's None of the mockeries are supposed to be real representations of the character. They're all through M Mary's game. Yeah. All right. Do you mm -hmm. feel that mood is manipulated in this play? Definitely. I think we, um, it was really, really important to us, particularly being a solo show, but I think this is important in all theatre, that there's a big element of surprise, that you don't really know where you're going next, where you're gonna, what you're going to feel next, what's going to happen. Um, so it was really important that we manipulated mood to to keep the audience guessing, um, but also because the subject matter itself is so dark that no one would want to sit through a 70-minute show about female convicts if it was just set in a solitary cell with Mary telling her life story as herself. I mean, you just couldn't do it. It would be too dark. <laughs> um, so the challenge in devising the work and putting all the scenes together and deciding where they would all go was really um, it it was we really wanted to be led by um, not wanting to stay in one particular mood for too long so but really stretching them so seeing how far we could kind of stay in Mary's dark world before she broke out into her next mockery and then how far the mockery could go into um, creating something either really really um, kind of repulsive and challenging for the audience or something more hilarious or something where the audience was provoked um, to join in um, so I think there are moods throughout the whole piece that were um, that are um, that they're shifting all the time, and they're going from the extremes of um, of something very playful and then something very dark. And then particularly with Jane, there's um, really a sense of um, kind of both in that because she represents sort of our contemporary collective. Um, ignorance too I suppose so she's funny we can laugh at her but she's sort of the one out of all of them that's putting the mirror up the most um, so she's yeah I think I think the whole show dances on this kind of uneasy line between the grotesque and charming as the Buffon do but also the light and the dark of the piece 
And is that how you manipulate the move through Mary jumping into a, into a mockery? Is that quite abrupt, the mood shift, or does she lead us in, into that mockery quite easily? Um, some of the mockeries are abrupt, some of them are smooth, uh, but they all grow to quite a, an exaggerated place. So the mood throughout them grows. So the mood could be, um, it could be quite funny, and then it suddenly becomes quite terrifying. Yeah. That is the end of part one of our interview with Emily Goddard. If you'd like to find out more about This Is Eden, please keep listening to part two or go to thisiseden.com.au. That is all from us at The Aside. Thanks to Aaron Searle for providing the music and Elton College for letting us record here. If you'd like to ask us a question, please do not hesitate. Just email us at thesidepodcast at outlook.com and we'll try to answer your question in a future episode. Thanks for listening.